0: What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Disc Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all love support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the deep disc conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Johnny, how you doing? Welcome to the platform.
1: Well Thank you, Jerome. I appreciate that. It's good to be here today. I appreciate every opportunity to talk to people, and I thank you for this chance to to reach out. Yeah,
0: no, no. I appreciate you uh, reaching out and giving me the opportunity to give you this interview to talk about your candidacy for a chess Court, Part Three. Right. Um, your situation is a little different, um, but it's not out of the norm um, for voters to have to like write in the candidates' names, which I want to get into. Yeah. But uh, you are a natural native. I am. And um I just want I always enjoy talking to those like myself that are from Nashville and especially from Nashville that's a little older from a different generation of Nashville. Right. As well. And so uh this, let's talk about that just a little bit growing up here in Nashville, more with some of your kind of you know, uh, final moments that you remember of being just a, just a native Nashvillian?
1: Well, you know, uh, I tell people that I've been living in Nashville since John Kennedy was president. Mm. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> that's been a while, it's but a long time. right. I, I, I started going to uh, church down here at McKendree Methodist church down on church street, not far from where we are. Um, you know, I just grew up in a, in a fairly typical, uh, middle-class, uh, white neighborhood. Uh, And then I started uh, school uh, at a separate but equal children made predominantly for, well, exclusively for white children. Mm. Uh, There was one black kid at our school, Mm. and he was the best-dressed kid in the whole place. And I think his parents probably knew that he was, like, being looked at. Right. But when I was in the fourth grade, uh, well, when I was in the third grade, my teacher got up, and she asked the whole class, class of little white children. And she says, what are you going to do if they have this bus in next year? Well, one kid in the back got up, and he says, my daddy says, we're moving to Texas. Now, I thought, move to Texas? Right. What's that all about, move to Texas? You know, because they don't have bus in there. Right. Well, the next year, busing started. You know, we started desegregation, and uh, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. You know, me and the guys, we hung out. Uh, I sat next to Wendell Holmes and William Carruthers, and we had a great time. You know, we were friends. We played out on the playground together. The next year, I went to Head, which was a separate but equal school for black children. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, same thing. Had a good time there. Got along with everybody. And we were just too young to care. We were friends, and we grew up friends, stayed friends. Uh, When I went to Washington, uh, junior high school, you know, I was one of two white boys on the track team. Hmm. And uh, and that was kind of an interesting experience as well, because my first name is Leroy, right. and so whenever Coach Tisdale was hollering at Leroy, right. you know he was talking <laughs> to me. But um, you know that was one of the things. And growing up in Nashville, uh, it was a good experience. I always knew that Nashville was a good place. it's, right. a, it's a great town. Uh, it's open. Um, you know a little bit about. Uh, my dad was a civil rights attorney here in Nashville, also.
0: Oh, wow! And he
1: was the founding president of the first chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union in Tennessee. Okay. So I came from a little bit different perspective. Right. Um, uh He was from Manhattan uh, and had grown up uh, in the Episcopalian Church and went to Sewanee, where he met my mother. Okay. Uh, at a blind date, and, and she was from Nashville. Okay. And she didn't want to move. To New Jersey okay. where, he, where he lived and so she stayed here but um you know so uh just growing up in Nashville was a was a good thing it was a good right. thing for everybody and uh, made a lot of friends a lot of those people I'm still friends with today you know right. uh, from high school
0: you know it's, it's always good to hear it. and you know like I went to head too. I'm too it was different different times but it just, it's good to hear like you know um when, when other folks that have, you know, lived in Nashville and was born here way before, you know, I was probably thought of, right. just hear the stories, <clears throat> excuse me, hear the stories and just how, you know, Nashville was and, you know, how a lot of stuff is different, but a lot of stuff is the same.
1: Right. Well, I mean, one of the things that had, and uh, I rode the bus. You know, mm-hmm. I spent probably 45 minutes on the bus every day <laughs> riding the head. And one day, Ms. Hines was late. Bus 508 hadn't gotten there yet. And so, me and some of the guys were in the back playground playing pickup and smear. And uh, while we're out there, some older kids are walking home, walking down the street. And one of them yells out, Get that white boy! And I looked around for him and I went, <laughs>
0: What the hell? They're talking to me.
1: Right. You know? But my buddies were like, You cool, Ellis. Come on. Just keep playing. <laughs> so, but that was the first time I'd ever been singled out right. because I wasn't the same race as everybody else around me. Right. It would not be the last time right. because I, you know, I'm very comfortable in that environment. I've, right. I've been the only white boy at a lot of parties. We socialized a lot in right. high school, right. you know, and uh, I went to Hillsborough high school, which was, had natural boundaries. Right. Uh, you could go five miles uh, one direction and be in Forest Hills, mm-hmm. uh, Green Hills go five miles the other direction and you'd be in Waverly-Belmont. Right. It was before gentrification, right. you know, uh, and uh, my mother was a school teacher and uh, taught at Woodbine. And, uh, you know, anyway, so, so my perspective in Nashville is a little bit different. Right. Uh, you know, my mother had grown up here her whole life and uh, my grandparents were here most of their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother was Margaret Stallman of the Stallman family and okay. they were German immigrants. Um, and, in fact, they tried to deport the Stallmans during World War I because they were enemy aliens.
0: Mm.
1: You know, they were right. Germans. Right. We were fighting the Germans, and that was a problem. Um, they weren't successful. Right. But, um, but yeah, so, so I've got a lot of history with Nashville. Right. I respect our, our history and our culture, and I'm looking forward to seeing how our future develops.
0: So through all these experiences and this, this different lens that you're, that you're growing up, through, especially, you know, as a a white child, as a white adolescent, Mm -hmm. how did this inspire you to get involved into the criminal legal system?
1: Well, I'm not really in the criminal legal system. Right. Right. I do. Just the legal system in general,
0: I guess, then. Or law, law, I should probably say. Right. (laughs) Well,
1: I, you know, uh, I grew up doing, uh, wanting to be a TV weatherman.
0: You got the voice for it. (laughs) Well,
1: yeah, I mean, I'm Johnny Ellis with WGK News. But uh, that was kind of my thing. I was interested in broadcasting and communications and things like that. Uh, I was interested in politics from a very early age uh, just because um, there had been times where I thought something needed to, there needed to be a, a, uh, not necessarily a change, but we needed to tweak the system a little bit. Okay. Um, and again, I do have a fairly uh, different perspective from most um, straight, middle-aged white men, just because of the fact that uh, I, I spent several years uh, going, being bused through neighborhoods that didn't look like mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of those houses belong to, you know, where my friends lived. Right. And uh, I just wanted to be able to get in there and provide opportunities I mean the world doesn't owe anybody a living right but they owe everybody a chance to make a living right and and is right in in politics uh and in the law that's one of the things now how did i get into the law yeah um well my dad was a lawyer my grandfather was a lawyer my great-grandfather was a lawyer
0: (laughs) three generations My, (laughs) my,
1: my cousin's a lawyer you know my uncle's a lawyer my son's about to graduate from law school uh on saturday so the law was kind of in my family blood and uh, that's what we talked about at thanksgiving and christmas we sit down you know everybody talks about their cases right. everybody loves to talk about their you know you three lawyers get together in a room they're all talking about their cases because right. you like to get ideas from people and right. try to see is there something i'm missing here is there an angle i haven't figured out so um, when I got a scholarship to law school, um, I decided to take it. I mean, it's like, okay, it was the first full tuition scholarship at the National School of Law. Uh, my dad taught there for, um, I guess, 39 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather had taught there uh, for many years before as well. Uh, he was instrumental in getting Irvin Kilcrease uh, into the school, at right. the National School of Law, Knight Law School. Um, because I had, uh, when I got out of UT, I'd started working in the mortgage business. And so, I was already established. It wasn't like a straight transition into law school from college. Right. So I kind of had to, uh, I had to go to night law school, right? You know, I was married, uh, starting a family, bought a house, uh, was already working. I had obligations. So there were things that, that, uh, made the night law school program very good for me.
0: Right. And so, um, I know, you know, when I look at your platform and stuff, you talk about, you know, the vital um, need for experience. Yeah. Right. For this, for this, for this, for this judge seat. Right. Experience and and needing experience and and having, you know, 25 years of experience and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience that you have and how that translates into the uh, chancery court?
1: Yeah. Well, the chancery court is a court of equity. Okay, so what that means is, for some areas of the law, there's a pretty clear-cut way to find a resolution. The light was green, the light was red. Either you broke your arm because somebody hit you with a car, or you didn't. Either there was an assault, you know, whatever it is. Now in Chancery Court, you're required to kind of fashion a remedy. You might, because every case, even though there's similarities to how it happened, mm-hmm. every case has its own set of facts. and. What the Chancery Court has to do is take those facts, prior law, and try to fashion a remedy, a resolution for a particular situation. Now, that is, applies to trademark, Mm -hmm. copyright, patent violations. Um, If there's a strike, for instance, you know, if there's a union strike, that applies. So the Chancery Court has a lot of authority. I mean, it's one of the most powerful courts uh, in the city. Probably is because you can actually put a restraining order on someone and make them stop doing something. Like if you want, if they were going to tear down a historic building to mm. put up a McDonald's or whatever they're going to do here in Nashville, um, the Chancery Court is where you would go to get a restraining order uh, to stop that. Now, with my years of experience, uh, I spent again six years in the mortgage business before I got my law degree for a, a mortgage company. I was transferred all over. Uh, Knoxville, Oak Ridge, Rome, Georgia, Madison, and Murfreesboro. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and then when I got out, I started doing uh, title company work. I opened a title company and did real estate closings. Um, That's another one of the things that the Chancery Court deals with. Uh, It's real estate issues, um, boundary line disputes, property ownership questions. So uh, I operated the title company for many years and had kind of a, a light practice. Uh, in litigation but I did things that had to do with adverse possession of property um, and boundary line disputes but the thing is that is a foundation understanding the real estate uh, side of things and title work is a foundation Um, I also uh, I had a jury verdict a few years later uh, when I had gotten out of uh, the title company and started doing just real estate litigation so from About 2005 to the present is what I've done mostly as real estate litigation, probate work, contracts. Um, And uh, I've defended trademarks. But I got out of the the title side of it. Um, And one of the clients that came into uh, had been on automatic bank draft with his bank, Wells Fargo. And Wells Fargo had taken the money out of his bank account, but they had not applied it to his mortgage. Mm. And everywhere else he had gone, they wanted to tell them to file bankruptcy. it's like, but I'm not bankrupt. Right. You know, Wells Fargo just lost his money. Right. So uh, we filed that lawsuit and stopped the foreclosure one day before the foreclosure sale. And it uh, took five years to get it into court. I mean, Wells Fargo's got a big bankroll. Right. But this is a case, I didn't know if I was ever going to get paid or not. Mm. You know, but I knew it was the right thing to do. And I understood what Wells Fargo had done because I had been in the mortgage business myself and I kind of saw what had happened but it took years to get that now that was the sixth largest jury verdict in Davidson County uh, in 2005 so uh, we won the case and he kept his house and he got a little bit of extra so that was one of the things I've also had I've had several jury trials um, which are unique in their own way and uh, I've all of the cases I've had before the Court of Appeals have been real estate related. And the Supreme Court case that, uh, that I was successful with was uh, a case that had to do with property ownership, uh, joint tenants with right of survivorship, without boring you on the specifics of that. Um, but a guy had, uh, had gotten title to property through his grandmother and, and uh, there had been a prior deed, which was joint tenants with right of survivorship. And so the other joint tenant was arguing, well, the grandmother couldn't, couldn't sever and break apart her ownership, but she could. Um, and so we, we took that case. I lost it in the trial level. I lost it in the court of appeals. Mm. I went back and I researched the law back to the 1830s in Tennessee. Wow. Uh, in fact, even... Uh, found Blackstone from 1765. I quoted 1765 law.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, man, you gotta, you gotta go down there. Gotta go down that rabbit hole. But um, the court was persuaded, and the following year I was asked to testify as an expert before the state legislature because they were planning on passing a law that would have affected joint tenants with the right of survivorship right. and would have changed the way that we looked at that uh, ownership style um, for over you Know 180 years, right? 200 years.
0: Wow, see, I'm, I'm glad you're breaking that down because I think, um, and I almost did at the beginning when people think about court and thinking about law, I think people's mind automatically goes to criminal, right? Because that's the sexy stuff, right? That's right, you know, <laughs> that's the stuff. But you break, but you bring it up really good, good points about chancery court. We're talking about business, yeah, right? we're talking about especially business in a, in a, in a, in a growing city like Nashville Mm -hmm. and how, you know, if you're trying to build something here, right. Um, or if you're trying to get something copyrighted trademarked or whatever it may be around business, they may potentially have to come talk to you.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. And I do, um, you know, I represent a, a medium sized business. They have $14 million a year in sales roughly. Um, they own 10 restaurants and, uh, I'm, uh, I'm their attorney, uh, I set up their annual shareholders meetings, I review the budget with the president of the company, uh, we look at things, we help plan marketing. Whenever there is a new location that we're going to open, uh, you know, I'm reviewing sometimes a hundred page lease. Some of these things are really awful, but, you know, they're drawn up by lawyers in Chicago and New York and Houston and, you know, uh, Atlanta. So you know, it just comes with the territory. Right. So you have to start reading those things. Uh, a A lawyer, a chancery lawyer's work is not really done in the courtroom. Right. Your Your main work is done at your desk and in the library and on the computer. Now, as far as the new construction things are going, I mean, I had, a, um, I had another jury trial where my client was a home builder and uh, he had performed the job. He's built a 4,500 square foot house, but actually what he had done was he had added about 400 square feet. So it wound up being a 4,900 square foot house, Mm. but they never did a written change order. You know, when you do these kinds of things, you're supposed to have an agreement with the homeowner or the property owner. Oh, by the way, we're making this adjustment. You know, he'd added square feet inside. He'd put on hardwoods where it, what didn't call for in the, in the original plans. So there were a lot of things that had not strictly followed the uh, the terms of the original agreement. So they got you know seventy-five or eighty percent finished with the job, and my client said, "Well, you owe me some money." Well, the homeowner said, "We didn't agree to that," and mm. he wasn't going to pay him. Mm. So my client stopped progress on the job, and said, "You know, if you're not going to pay me, I'm not going to finish the job because you know I did all this extra work." Right. So. Um, Anyway, the long and the short of that was it went to trial. You know, I don't know why, but it did. It went to trial, and uh, the jury found in favor of my client, and, mm-hmm. and he, got, he got paid the additional money, less what it would have cost to finish the job. Because right. he didn't finish the job. There's no right. question about that. But he had a right. He had a reason not to finish the job. Right. When that trial was over, I had two members of the jury come out of the box and ask me for my business card. <laughs> So, you know, that was a signal that I had done a pretty good job so, as, a, <clears throat> as a lawyer in that jury case.
0: And so let me, let me ask you this then, Johnny. Why? It seems like you're a pretty great attorney, pretty great lawyer, right? Right. Um, why now um, switch over and in, in the, in the run for judge?
1: Well, <clears throat> running for judge is something that, We need a choice here in Nashville for all our judicial seats. Um, there are a lot of offices that are being, uh, unchallenged and that's probably, uh, unfortunate because I'm sure there are plenty of other qualified people out there that should be getting their issues, um, and giving the citizens an opportunity and that's happening a lot in other, in other cases. But I have a lot of respect for the court system. Um, again, you know, I'm a, I'm a fifth generation lawyer. And so, having grown up in that environment, uh, I see the court system as something where people should come and, uh, uh, and be able to know that they'll be treated with respect mm-hmm. and that the judge is going to be knowledgeable about the areas that they're gonna be asked to make decisions on. Now, that's not to say that I'm gonna, you know, if I, if I have to tell you that everybody is gonna get be, be listened to, and everybody's going to get a fair shake in my court. Well, if I have to tell you that, then it's not speaking to my character. Right. So I won't say that I'm listen to everybody. I don't think I need to. Right. But I will say that I will treat everybody's argument with respect and dignity uh, and consider it. And that you know, again, that doesn't matter um, what the issue is. Right. Uh, it's just a matter of being informed, having some general knowledge of the field of practice that you're being asked to make a decision on is important right um and uh, you know i've got over 600 cases in uh just in circuit court and uh chancery court here in davidson county that doesn't include outlying counties right. i've done trademark uh cases in shelby county uh, in severe county um in putnam county <clears throat> so i have a i have a client that uh it's a, you know, Cinco de Mayo Mexican restaurant. They trademarked their name and their likeness. And when other places try to use Cinco de Mayo as a name for the restaurant to sell Mexican food, we have to sue them. Right. You know, we have to say, wait a minute, we own that, you know, we own that copyright. Right. That trademark. So, <clears throat> you know, Chancery Court is more than just construction. Right. You know, there's a lot more to it than just construction cases. Um, but uh, I mean that's a big part, right. but some construction cases are resolved in circuit court as well. Right. It's when the terms of the contract are ambiguous or you mm-hmm. can't really you can't read it and go, you know, well what does this mean? You know, right. and if you can't figure it out, then that's when you need to file it in chancery court because that's where the chancellor has to make a remedy from the facts, the previous law, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the the specifics of the case are very important and every case is a little bit different. But it's not criminal law. Right. It's not right. criminal. I mean, I tell people if you want to go to jail, <laughs> hire me as your criminal lawyer. Right, because <laughs> <laughs> cause I'm not a very good criminal lawyer. Yeah, no, no, I, but, I did a littering <laughs> thing when I was real small. When I was a baby lawyer, I did a littering charge.
0: When, but, when but, but I think that's really, that's really good for people to understand and know that all law is not criminal or doesn't deal with like with with anything criminality in general. Right. Um, um, so with like probate chancery all these other courts are, are totally separate but again i think the sexy stuff law police legal put, people get locked up or whatever uh, but that's not all that deals with law um and so i want to also pivot until um you mentioned that you know there should be you know other people running um and there's a lot of seats that are going unopposed but you know, you do have uh, somebody that is running um, another candidate. Um, and what kind of separates you all from each other? What makes you essentially a better candidate uh, than your opponent?
1: Well, um, I mean, uh, Ms. Miles is a delightful lady. Um, I think she's, she's very uh, smart. Um, you know, apparently a pretty good lawyer. And I have nothing bad to say about her. The simple fact of the matter is that I didn't know what I was doing seven years out of law school. I would never have been ready to take charge of a courtroom. I would certainly never have been ready to take charge of a chancery courtroom. Um, you know, you, you can't just put on a robe and start banging a hammer. There's just a little more to it than that. And uh, if you have a jury case, I mean, I don't, jury cases have a lot of moving parts. You got the jury in, you know, sometimes the lawyers want to have a discussion. The jury's got to go out. Picking the jury is a, is a thing. When the jury wants to ask questions of the witnesses, that's something we allow now. But they have to hand that up to the judge, and then the judge might hand it over to the lawyers, and the lawyers can either ask the question or not. Now, I heard uh, recently that one judge was letting the jurors ask questions directly. I'm not sure I'd like that. Right. But, um, you know, that's just uh, that's a stick of dynamite. Because right. a good lawyer usually knows the answer to a question before he asks it. Uh, the few times that I have not followed that rule, I was pretty sure about what the answer was going to be. But it's still one of those things where you start going, uh-oh, you know, what's he going to say? And then whew, you come out with the right answer, you're very lucky. But right. it could just easy, easily go the other way. Right. So, um, but uh, I'm, Nashville has been doing fine. You know, everybody wants to come to Nashville. Right. Everybody loves Nashville. Right. I don't really think we need somebody from Cincinnati to come and tell us exactly how things in Nashville ought to be done. Mm. Um, You know, I've got got a lot of history here and experience. I know how we got here because I was part of it. Right. And I know where we are right now. And I think that gives me a better perspective moving forward on what we're going to be doing. In the future, and uh, I just don't think that the the years of service, uh, as a comparison, um, my experience with trials, mm-hmm. with jury trials, with the diversity of cases that I've had, uh, that's you know a big difference. Right. Uh, I have business experience because I advise business clients. Uh, I spent six years in the mortgage business, um, you know, and that requires evaluating people's finances uh, equity positions, doing appraisals, uh, surveys. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the few lawyers that can read a survey and actually write the words out or look at the words on a meets and bounds description and draw the boundary lines Because I can read a survey. Right. Um, so these are just things that, that set us apart. Uh, it's, it's just a level of experience and understanding, um, that, uh, Uh, that makes me a better qualified candidate i mean there's just there are some things that you just can't learn in a book thank you for that um johnny but i will say this
0: are you worried uh about this uh, about this election because when i go to vote i won't see your name on the ballot right you know um because you have been barred from the democratic democratic <laughs> ticket, <laughs> um, and I want I want I want to, I want you to talk about that too, so people right. can understand that process. But it, you know, are you are you concerned about about that because people are, are visual, yeah. right? People are right. very visual, and so when people go and they want to be able to choose and they don't want to do any extra work, right? Right, which is what they would have to do to vote with you, right? So so take us through the process on how you went on not being on the ticket and. And how are you now trying to, you know, get people to understand that, hey, you can still vote for me via this way right. on May 3rd? Well, early voting is now through the 28th. May 3rd is the voting day and also in August.
1: Right. Well, the, the write-in process is remarkably easy. It probably takes an average of about eight seconds, maybe 10, to, uh, to push the write-in button a keyboard pops up, and you type in Johnny Ellis, and push OK. That takes about eight seconds. The term of office for a chancellor is eight years. It's almost so, a decade.
0: Eight, that's why this is important. Eight years is a long time. Eight
1: years is a long time. Now, um, so if you, if you spend eight seconds, you know, to get an eight-year result, I think it's probably worth the extra time. Right. Now, how this happened, see, I was really flabbergasted when the Democratic Party kicked me out um, because, I mean, I, I, I voted for Jimmy Carter, you know. I, I voted for uh, Michael Dukakis and Al Gore and Walter Mondale. I voted for Barack Obama. You know, I have consistently voted for Democratic presidential candidates. I voted in, in 26 years. I voted in four Republican primaries. Four. Mm-hmm. So, um, and here lately, I did vote in two Republican primaries. Um, because, I mean, the Democrats didn't have anybody um, running for governor. You know, there's one candidate running for governor and six candidates running uh, for governor on the Republican ticket. To me, I can see I'm realistic enough to realize that Tennessee is going to elect a Republican uh, governor, so I want the Republican that is the least objectionable to me. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) So, So, yes, I voted in Republican primaries. But I filed my petition. I qualified. In a very short period of time, um, people were people were talking. But when I, I didn't even turn my petition in, and someone had stopped my cousin, who's also a lawyer, and had said, "I hear your brother's uh, your cousin is running for chancellor," you know, they like people are excited about it. So um, it was really getting traction because in 25 years you get to know people. I mean, right. I know a lot of lawyers. I know a lot of members of the bench. You know, I've been in the trenches with them. Um, you know, I was a grunt lawyer, you know, and coming up through the ranks, you right. just meet people. And so people were excited to know a name they recognized, um, a, uh, a, you know, a person that they could, could trust on the bench was in the race. So I turned my ballot in and qualified as a Democrat, and then after the deadline, for me to pull my papers, and file as an independent, because the Republicans would have kicked me out too. They're kicking people out. I voted in too many Democratic primaries. But I could have run as an on-the-ballot independent if I'd known what they were challenging me for. But they said, you voted in Republican primaries. Um, I said that Hillary Clinton was not a good presidential candidate in 2016. Uh, This was before the election, before Donald Trump was elected. I said, you know, I don't think Hillary's got this. She's not a very good candidate. She's not as likable as Bill, and she's not. Right. It's a true statement. Um, I'd also said that I didn't think it was a good idea to to support riots in uh, in Portland and Milwaukee, and then expect uh, the Republicans to be quiet in January, you know, in Washington. So right. if you if you su- that riots is a is not a good way to have political uh, protest. Uh, I don't think that's helpful. Um, and uh and so so i generally oppose that uh, but if you if you do it one way don't be surprised when it goes the other way if it's okay for for one party or one group to have violent protests well apparently that's not a democratic position um so uh, i think the democratic party had moved much further left than i have uh, i've moved a little bit to the right and the democratic party kicked me off the ballot so that means and that since they told me after the time for me to refile as an independent, I'm not on the ballot at all. Mm. But I'm still running. Right. I qualified as a write-in candidate. You have to qualify even to be a write-in. If everybody wrote me in tomorrow, right. you know, in early voting, if I got, you know, 20,000 right. votes, that none of them would count because you have to qualify and let the Election Commission know that you intend to run a write-in campaign. So as soon as I got kicked off, I thought, well, you know, um, one of the other candidates, Dave Ridings, also got kicked off for voting in Republican primaries. And uh, uh, he filed a lawsuit to be put back on the ballot. And I thought, well, if the Democratic Party doesn't want me, okay, that's fine. Right. I mean, I'm not an ultra-conservative kind of guy. Right. And That's just not my history. Um, again, I grew up in a pretty liberal household. Right. If your dad's the founder of the American Civil Liberties Union, which he was— Um, you know, I grew up in a pretty open-minded, uh, home. If you went to school in North Nashville, elementary school and junior high school in North Nashville, and got bused, you know, there, uh, during the period of desegregation, you have a perspective that is not going to be ultra-right wing. But I'm not ultra-left wing either, I'm not, you know, and, and frankly, I think it's a good thing for a judge to be independent independent-minded, not have any preconceived ideas, to give everyone a fair shake. I don't have any party platform I have an obligation to, which is a good thing, you know, not left or right. Um, I don't have to look over my shoulder and go, well, is this gonna meet the Republican Party or Democratic Party guidelines? Will I get kicked off the ballot next year if I, you know, rule in in this way? Because they did that to Ellen Lyle when she made the right decision. Right. You know, she made the right decision by allowing uh, absentee ballots. Uh, But the legislature called her on the carpet and made her come up and justify, you know, and called for an investigation. Mm. So she was one of the hardest working, best chancellors, you know, that we got. She's always prepared. She always asked intelligent questions, right. not that other judges don't. I'm not saying that.
0: <laughs>
1: but she was a very good chancellor. And uh, because of that one decision, the Republican legislature called her on the carpet and, uh, and grilled her. And, you know, the legislature's getting involved with things more than they should. But if you have to worry about whether or not you're going to offend some powerful party, political party person... Then you really can't do your job right.
0: And so, how do you feel like this will, you know, ultimately play a part in the results in the election? You know, being that they have to, you know, they can see one candidate's name and easily, boop, or you know, take that extra eight seconds to type in your name. You right. Know, do you think that that do you think that's going to ultimately, you know, be a huge part of whether you win or lose?
1: Well, yeah, it'll be a huge part. Yeah, it will be a big part. Um, and so I have a major obstacle in terms of getting, the, uh, getting people's uh, information in their hands about what's going on, why I'm running. Um, you know, it's, it's the fact that I just, I guess I'm just too independent, and they want to kick me off Right. What,
0: what, <laughs> what have been some of the ways you've been able to navigate that, like being able to still campaign and mm-hmm. still tell people, hey, what, what have been some of your tactics? To still get voters to that want to support you, sure. To know that hey, you still can. It's not over. I do qualify as a write-in candidate, and this is how you do that.
1: Right. Well, I mean, as an independent, mm-hmm. you know, I'm able to cross the boundaries. Right. You know, I can go to Democratic parties. I can go to Republican parties, right. and I talk at both of those groups. Both to both of those groups. Now, I'm not talking to the extremes on other end, on right. either end, but I am talking to what I what I like to think. Uh, is the meaty core of both parties. I don't think most people are extremes on either way. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it requires a lot more foot traffic, uh, a lot more shoe leather getting out there, meeting mm-hmm. people, trying to just stay plugged into as many different things as I can. Right. You know, so, uh, so I'm not confined. Right. But, but yes, it's, uh, it's a learning curve. It's something that, uh, and right now people are asking me, Johnny, how do I write you in? Right. You know, and, I'm, and I have to explain to them, it's the August ballot. It's July early voting and the August ballot. I say, you can practice. Right. You know, they can practice writing me in right now, right. but it won't count until the August election.
0: Okay. And so so this is, this is, this is good information here because I didn't even know this. So if I was to go to vote right now, and it's you and Aisha Miles
1: mm-hmm.
0: on a ballot, it does not count.
1: If you write me in, okay. If you were, if you were to write me in, because mm-hmm. where you see Aisha, right? Okay, it's Chancery Court Part Three. Mm-hmm. Aisha's name is where mine should be. Okay. So you push the write-in button and right. type in my name, Johnny Ellis. So, um, yes, if during the primary, okay. Because we're picking party. Right. This is a party primary. Right. And I've been kicked out of the party. You know, they so, told me I'm not a Democrat anymore. Okay. So. Um, And even if I had, uh, you know, you could have, if I hadn't registered as a Democrat prior, I could have asked to be a write-in on the Republican ticket and get 25 write-ins and then not appear as a Republican. However, because I already filed as a Democrat, I can't back up and then go, well, nope, sorry, I forgot. You know, I mean, I'm really Republican. Right. So, um,
0: okay. So for you, July.
1: Early voting is,
0: and then August on uh, August fourth. August fourth is the most important days for people to write in. Right. Okay. Right. Make that, I just want to make that clear for the viewers and the and the listeners. July early voting, and then August fourth voting day is you know most important for you to write in Johnny Ellis's name uh, if that's the way you would like to vote. Cool. That's, I'm glad you made that clear. Yeah, and I'm all <laughs> over
1: the county. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm everywhere. It's a big county, right. But uh, but no, I'm you know going to uh, uh, a dinner tonight where I'm going to meet with some people. Okay. Um, and you know, it's probably a more conservative group than I would have met at John A's or some other place. But right. you know, I I got to get votes where I can get them, uh, and that's just uh, the way it is. That's <laughs> the way it is, man. You know, I, I, I got to work harder. But that's okay. Right. I don't mind. I mean, you know, when I was at UT, I was in a boxing tournament. When I got punched in the face, what would I do? Punch back. Punch back. Yeah. That's right. Ho- hopefully. <laughs> no,
0: most, but, most people don't punch back. No, but, I mean, if, know, they, but, if, yeah.
1: if, if the Democratic Party or the, the people that, that trolled my Facebook post to find these little things that I said in private comments to my friends, if they thought kicking me off the ballot was going to make me stop, mm-hmm. they don't understand me. Right. Because... The court is an important place, right. and it's important to have experience and understanding and have a judge that has already um, reviewed the issues mm-hmm. before they come to them the very first time. Right. You don't want the judge's first exposure to a particular issue right. to be when they read the lawyer's brief and go, oh, wow. Huh. Right. And,
0: and so, speaking of social media, Facebook, Yeah. is there anything that you would like to address around around that particular topic, around people stalking your posts and finding things or comments uh, that you had said in private and and using them against you?
1: Well, some of them yes and some of them no. Right. I mean, you know, because what they didn't show you are my complaints about George Floyd, okay, Um, because I knew that Derek Chauvin was going to have, you know, he was going to get arrested. I mean, anybody who saw that video is going to know that. Right. They didn't post anything about that or how you fix that problem. Right. Okay. So uh, you know, or any uh, any of my Facebook, uh, I've got a I've got a Facebook page that I've been running for several years. It's called White People Care Too. Okay. Hashtag WPCT. Okay. White people do care. You know when <clears throat> when people get shot during an arrest and killed. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, if it's a white officer shooting a black man, if it's a black officer shooting a white man. Um, it's more frequently a white officer shooting a black man, which is what we see the most of. And so that's one of the things that I've spoken out about uh, that didn't get included. Mm -hmm. When Philando Castile got shot, you know, here's a guy who has gone to the trouble to get a concealed carry permit. And as soon as he tells the cop, I have a concealed carry permit, Mm -hmm. he gets shot and killed in his his own car. That's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, How do you fix that?
0: Right.
1: I can fix that. Right. You want to know how you fix that? How you fix that? Okay. Here you go. What do people value? Okay. They Via their their homes, their family, you know, their children, and their wallet. Right. People value their wallet a lot. Their money. So when you hit people in the wallet, that is when their behavior is going to change. Right so what i would propose is i mean the whole reason this is happening is because there's qualified immunity for anything a police officer does while he's on the job
0: which is stand your ground on steroids pretty much
1: right Mm -hmm. and see so the community has been approaching this from the wrong angle like it's a black community problem and i'm like well it's a problem for the black community but i mean what could this kid have done faster raise his hand faster Right. No, I mean, that's not the answer. Right. The answer is to hold police officers. Well, what you would do is you would bond every police officer to the tune of, you know, half a million dollars or something like that. Right. So that would be part of their compensation package. Every police officer has a $500,000 bond. If you wrongfully shoot someone, that's gone. that $500,000 bond or whatever amount, Gets paid to the family who was killed. Mm-hmm. Okay, of the, of the person that was killed. So, <clears throat> number one, and, and if it's an excess of five hundred thousand dollars, then the police officer is looking at his own house or something like that. Right. But Derek Chauvin, what's the first thing he did? What's the very first thing he did, Derek Chauvin?
0: I don't know what is the first thing. After he did. After he
1: killed George Floyd, okay, he got a divorce. Mm. Who got all the property in that divorce, Jerome? Uh. His wife. His wife. Mm -hmm. So George Floyd's family's got nothing to get from Derek Chauvin because the wife already got it all in the divorce. Mm -hmm. Now, this was smart thinking, okay, by Derek Chauvin of trying to save, you know, his wife's money or whatever. Okay, that is strategic thinking. Right. If he had had a bond, you can't run out on the bond. Right. If the policeman has to have a bond for shooting somebody wrongfully or killing somebody, breaking their neck, suffocating them, you know, Anyway, that ain't right, Jerome.
0: And so I got a question for you in Chancery Court, because you, you talk about how you how how one how you grew up in your lens, um, and also just having a judge that can can be equitable, fair. What does equitability look like in Chancery Court? Because we know on the criminal legal system side that black and brown folks are you know arrested more incarcerated more it just you know and, and poor folks right whether they came for afford you know for a good attorney or for a cash bill or whatever it may be right what is what does equitability look like in chancery court to make sure that there aren't those type of disparities that we see on the criminal side of law um, because again that's the sexy part so we may not know you know on the chancery court side what what does discrimination because discrimination look like are black and brown folks getting the same type of judgments and same type of resources, or is it comes down to like, hey, if you're poor, like eh, maybe you can fight this, maybe you can't. Like, what does that look like?
1: It does look like that, Jerome. Okay. There are a lot of poor people who are getting screwed. Okay. They just are, uh, and and that's one of the things. I I have a lot of people that just don't pay me, and I do it because they need the help. I don't do it because I'm expecting to get paid. Um, but there are a lot of people who I've helped over the years, um, that just don't have the money, but are in a really bad spot. And there's no one way for people to get screwed. Mm. People get screwed all kinds. There's new creative ways to screw somebody. Somebody right now is off thinking about a way to cheat somebody. Right. Okay. Right this minute. Right. So how does that happen? Now you talk about black and brown people being put in jail, you know, at higher percentages. And a lot of that is very true, uh, but it's also true that uh, they don't lawyer up as much, hmm. okay? If you don't hire a lawyer, you know, even a, even a junior lawyer right. to help you out of the spot that you're in, right. you know, you're going to have a bad result. The same thing's true in chancery court, okay? okay? So that same thing's true in chancery court. you got to lawyer up. Now, if you say, well, we need more chancellors, you know, of color. We need a black chancellor, let not just say it, we need a black chancellor, a black woman chancellor, something like that. For people to have confidence in the system, we need, you know, well, Russell Perkins is a black chancellor, you know, uh, he went to head, you know, he went to Washington, same schools I went to, and, uh, you know, he's from Nashville. Why do we have to have, um, you know, a, a black chancellor in court? Why is that an important thing to do? I mean, we say maybe that's a social pro- progress thing that we're trying to do or is it for people to have confidence they want to be able to see that there is someone that uh, reflects their identity their right. racial identity right. um, and and that may or may not be their personal and individual identity that may that that person may look like them
0: right.
1: but may have gone to some private school somewhere and not really appreciate the uh, the roots from where that person came from, right. and how's that supposed to work anyway? Right. I mean, does the, I mean, you don't know if you're going to get the black chancellor or not. I mean, do the, when the lawyer files the lawsuit, does the clerk ask, I'm sorry, you know, is, is your client black or white? Right. Because if they're black, they have to go to the black judge. Right. How does that work? It doesn't right. work like that. Okay. You know, it's random. Right. It's better to have somebody whose head and whose heart is is with the community as opposed to somebody who can just talk the talk.
0: And so you, you bring up like lowering up in the resources. Yeah. So how 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 if, if I know I'm being done wrong or somebody trying to screw screw me over mm-hmm. and I don't have the money to get a, a great lawyer like you, mm-hmm. right? Um what what are the resources, what are the options or, you know, what is the power that you have as potentially judge if you see that I have a case but I can't properly represent myself and or the representation that I with well, as a junior lawyer is not properly representing me. Because again, um, I just may be poor, but mm-hmm. I might be right. I, I may but I may have a case and I know I've done wrong, but I, I don't have the adequate money to maybe lawyer up mm-hmm. or get the proper representation um, that I know I deserve and need to actually win this case.
1: Right. Right. Because people get defrauded all the time. Right, and that's one of the biggest problems. When you get defrauded, you're getting defrauded of your money.
0: Right. So, so, so how? So what? So, as 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 potentially as chancery court judge, if you see that I can't, I can't, I can't afford representation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what power do you have to one? Because I know on the criminal side, right, a judge can appoint me an attorney. Mm-hmm. Is that the right. same case in chancery court, or is it something that I have? It has to come out of my pocket, and it's nothing that you know, um, the city or the state can do for me when it comes to representation?
1: Well, there. this is where the lawyer that you approach has to know the law. Okay. Because not all types of wrongs allow you to recover attorney's fees. Okay. Um, I've got a guy right now um, who was tricked into signing a deed. Okay? Um, and he's just a... You know, he's just not a very sophisticated man. Uh, he trusted somebody, uh, and they put a piece of paper in front of his hand and he signed it. Mm-hmm. I think he thought he was getting a loan, but what he effectively did was sign away the rights to his house. And so now somebody else has come along, evicted him out of his own house, mm-hmm. and he's faced with the problem of how do I get my house back? Right. So with a situation like that, and that's kind of similar to what my Supreme court case was like, um, the lawyer has to be creative enough to figure out how they're going to get paid at the end of the day. Right. Because I mean, my dad fought a case for 10 years uh, against the Hartsville nuclear plant. Mm. Uh, And you know, he got paid $12,000. I mean, for 10 years of work. Right. I mean, even in 1976, that wouldn't lie. That wouldn't yeah, a lot of money. The, <laughs> but, yeah, not for
0: ten years' work. But,
1: I mean, the answer to your question is no. You can't appoint a lawyer. Okay. Uh, to that, but you can make recommendations to the legislature. Okay. And say here are problems that we need to address. We need okay. to we need to open up a vehicle for litigants to be able to recover attorneys' fees if they're successful in their case. Right. Now that would bring in other lawyers that are willing to take a risk on this. Um. My Wells Fargo case, okay? There's no, there's no law that says I would have gotten attorney's fees if right. I didn't win that case. Right. You know, I took it because I knew it was the right thing to do. I understood what had happened. I had confidence in myself. Okay. It was good facts. I was able to support it. Um, and, uh, uh, and we were able to win the case. But with that case, you know i just i put a lien on his on his real estate i said here's the deal right you know you're going to pay me x okay and if i if we lose the case right. i've got you know i get nothing cuz your house is getting foreclosed on okay if we win the case then my my mortgage my lien on your property is good and i will get paid so hey, hey you have to be creative yeah you, the lawyer okay. has to be creative and the poor litigant just has to keep looking because i mean there's nobody. Uh, there's no Google search that says, um, you know, lawyer who takes dot com.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> eight years is a long time. Yeah. Um, if elected, you know, um, to chancery Court Judge Part Three, um, what does eight years look like for Nashville with you at that seat?
1: Well, one of the things that's important. Uh, Nashville is growing and dynamic, and mm-hmm. things are are changing. Uh, we've got things that are that are being built. There're going to be issues. Um, there are going to be conden- condemnation, uh, condemnation lawsuits, mm-hmm. because the city is going to want to take people's property for some of these projects that they're doing. Now, I'm I'm offended by that when when I think when the government tries to take someone's home, uh, and more and more houses are getting crowded out you know when i went to head it was before gentrification and now those houses over there are half million dollar houses right when i was in school you know in 1973 when i was at head elementary school there was not you know the whole block wasn't worth five hundred thousand dollars. so um what things are going to look like is that if the if the state wants your money wants your property you're going to get a fair amount of money for that you're going to get well compensated if the state has to take your property if you're involved with a contract problem um, because we're building this two billion dollar stadium perhaps right. i mean there will be problems there and, right. and a lot of those are going to be because of ambiguities in a contract If the contract is ambiguous it's going to come into chancery court now those things um, you know are going to be weighed individually and we'll see how that comes out but i mean everybody is uh is going to have a fair hearing in that kind of thing and uh copyrights again that's a big thing here in nashville nashville's got a lot of songwriters a lot of musicians so copyrights are going to be protected you know uh, if somebody comes in and steals a lyrics off somebody and they make a hit record off of it You know, they should be compensated if that language or if that tune or something was stolen. Right. These are things. If you have an administrative law hearing that gets appealed to chancery court. Right. um, You know, my lens is, you know, from the dirt of the town, man. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I've got the dirt in between my toes from right. this city, and I've been here my whole life, you know, played in the creeks, you know, had rock fights, right. you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have, I've, I've enjoyed the town, and I, I love the city. So what's it, nobody ever had to tell me Nashville was the it city. Right. I've known it. I've known right. it. I mean, I've, I've seen this progress coming for a long time. Um, Nashville's going to stay the course we're going to stay on the course progression that we've had. We're going to be open. We're going to be accepting. Uh, we're going to continue to be uh, a progressive town. And with me as the chancellor of Chancery Court, Part Three, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm going to continue to um, to try to see that we stay on that track.
0: Johnny, I appreciate your time. I want to give you the last word of how can people support, reach out to you, find out about your platform, um, heading into, you know, um, election?
1: hmm Well, my Facebook page is Johnny4judge. It's the number four. for judge uh, is on Facebook. Uh, my website is electjohnnyellis.com. Um, you can write me in during the primary if you just want to practice how to do that. That's as good a time as, now is as good a time as any. Uh, to do that and uh, with either of those places you can actually uh, you know you can donate to the campaign you can get a sign in your yard you can work a poll with me you can get a t-shirt really cool t-shirts um, or maybe a free ink pen you never know I mean you know we depending on how committed you are is what right. kind of prize you get but uh, now the bottom line is that this is an important race the chancery court is an important court Um, that we need somebody with experience on the bench. Uh, My overall total experience, my experience in life, my experience with Nashville, my experience with the law, my experience with life, my experience with Nashville, my experience with the law make me a better candidate. I mean, I'm not intrinsically better than any other person in the town. I'm not better than you, Jerome. I'm not better than, you know, guy down the street. I'm a guy that knows his job and, and I, know, I know how to do this job as chancellor. It's dangerous if you have someone who doesn't know what they don't know who's trying to be the chancellor for this particular position. So I would ask for you to, uh, you know, the party has kicked me out, and I'm asking you to write me in. It just takes a minute. When you see Chancery Court Part Three, push right in. And type in Johnny Ellis. The keyboard will pop in. You type Johnny Ellis and push OK. Do that in July. Do that in August. And uh, Nashville will stay on the same track that it's been for the last 20 years. Uh, and everybody seems to like that because people are coming here and staying.
0: Right, right. We need and we need a just and equitable Nashville. And we need a just and equitable judge, whoever they may be. So... Um Thank you, Johnny, for your time. Thank you for just breaking all of this down for us um, and just your process doing this campaign. Right. Um, and just giving us a little bit of history about your experience and just about, you know, um, your footing here in the roots here of Nashville, which I appreciate because, you know, I'm a Nashvilleian as well. You know, it's, a, it's appreciated. And so uh, thank you for your time. Um, good luck. Thank you. And regardless of what happens, I, I definitely want you to come back and talk more about this, this, these things that are just happening happening here in Nashville socially that we are all affected by, albeit on different levels, but um, I think people will appreciate your takes and your perspectives um, and just, you know, just who you are. So thank you.
1: Well, I appreciate that a lot, and I look forward to coming back anytime you'd like to have me.
0: Cool. Hey, y'all heard him say it, right? You, you got to hold him to <laughs> it. Thanks, John.
1: Thank you.